Welcome to another edition of Dark Days Dawning podcast. This edition I've given the rather pretentious title of Cults as a Biopsychosocial Spiritual Prison. I know that sounds pretentious. Initially, I was going to review the book by Joost Berlou called The Rape of the Mind. I thought that it was uh, a book about menticide or brainwashing and of course this would tie into my ambition to do as much podcasting as I can about cults of course because I'm kind of ambivalent about that every now and again I also go into uh, books I've read of literature or maybe the odd documentary review but my ambition is to do as much as I can about cults and sex and new religious movements or NRMs. Having read The Rape of the Mind, I wasn't happy. I believe that brainwashing is not a term that psychologists are happy to use and neither was I. Uh, I just felt that there's more going on in a cult than uh, the word brainwashing and I'm not even sure if I know exactly what that means. I kind of challenged that idea. So I read two or three of my favourite books. Okay, which ones stand out? Well, as a young man, I'd have read A Social History of Manus by Roy Porter, which I think was published in 1996 or 1997. Either way, a brilliant book about the history of madness by a brilliant English academician who I'm sad to say has actually passed away. Um, he explains power and the role of the irrational in the development of groups, namely society. So I thought, oh, that, that's very helpful. I also read and reread, shall I say, the the what's it called? It's called Discipline and Punish by Michel Foucault. I always get that confused with the birth of the clinic because he also uh, wrote about the history of Manus, which I don't like to I don't enjoy it. I think it's a great book. I think social history of Manus is much, much better. But what I learned was from reading Michel Foucault and reading Porter that their sociological philosophical thinking helped me as a person to establish a theory of cults and N or M's without having to resort to um, the idea that all oh, these people are simply brainwashed. So let me um, describe to you what a Parisian mental patient psychiatric patient in an asylum in Paris said in the 1900s he announced I am a man God Napoleon altogether I am Robespierre a monster I must be slain the patient wasn't alone the psychiatrist Esquirel had several patients in the 19th century that claimed they were Napoleon 
what's truly sobering to contemplate is what happens when you called these are called delusions of grandeur and they're called theodicy and they're seen as a symptom of schizophrenia where a person believes that they're actually a deity or a prophet but what i'm concerned about is what actually happens when this clearly deluded human being is taken seriously and an N or M or a cult is formed around the personality of this, dare I say, crazy human being. These are claims of deification and somehow these power crazed individuals who are delusional are able to purchase many willing believers globally a fact that can be lampooned by the unenlightened you see it's all very easy from for people who are not um erudite and empathic to basically fail to reason that cult members are in the grip of a very powerful psycho-spiritual transference. They believe their entire salvation depends on them being good, loyal members of what in reality represents an anti-democratic, totalitarian group. And that's why it's helpful to read books uh, such as The Rape of the Mind because from reading The Rape of the Mind I began to realise that a cult is also like it's like a totalitarian regime within a democratic state so you have citizens who technically speaking are born into the free world but yet they're not free at all we have with so many cult leaders monomaniacal monologues about power where the leader engages in an endless dialogue with authority and by the way this uh, representation of uh, of delusion and it's a, an abuse of power but this threatens the normal structures of power because people with ill reason and irrational people are a threat to order. And so, of course, cults and new age religions can potentially represent authoritarian, totalitarian rule. And of course, number two, bad power or an abuse of power with their members, clearly its victims and um, perhaps even uh, non-members if uh, the group is homicidally orientated reason and logic must reign for good order to exist so perhaps cult members are victims of bad order and an abuse of power it certainly seems to be the case On numerous occasions, cult leaders have deluded their followers with innumerable false dates claiming the end of the world. 
and boasting of their particular group as holding a monopoly on salvation. Which means that uh, on so many occasions, so many people who are these leaders, they claim a date specifically when the apocalypse happens. Everybody who's a member of the cult gets very, very excited. The date happens and the world is still the same. However, we must remember that exclusivity of spiritual truth lies within the cult or the ORM or the sect. And basically, this is what I call spiritual propaganda. It's designed to straightjacket members into becoming non-member, non-entity society. This becomes, a, you could say, a thematic dogma of these groups who are portrayed as generally morally decadent, evil, perverse, and oppressive. The members of a cult, we must remember, once were citizens of a country, but they kind of lose their citizenship the more they are involved in a high-power cult. They lose what we would call freedom. They become non-taxpayers, undocumented individuals within society. Of course, the whole scenario is deeply tragic and is an abuse of power. So you can see, if you look at sociological and philosophical material, how a, uh, a non-psychological um, sim simplification of cult phenomena can exist where we can actually see socially where the infrastructure is created where the ideological poison of a group infiltrates the cult member where we have the data reason stemming from the instruments of power when ill reason exists evil reigns And another wonderful reason why I read Discipline and Punish the Birth of the Prison by Michel Foucault. He also wrote The Birth of the Clinic. But as I said, once you analyse the birth of one institution, you can understand how other institutions are created because institutions create knowledge, they create disciplines. So from the prison, you get the study of penology, you get the study of criminology, and so on and so forth. What we learn is that cults are proficient at understanding what Michel Foucault called in his book, Discipline and Punish, the microphysics of power. Cults will designate your dress codes. They'll tell you what you should wear, what you can't wear. They may even provide you a uniform. They will enforce diet restrictions of what you can and cannot eat. And of course, there may be periods of fasting. They no doubt will encourage a work ethic and a work schedule, creating rank and order and observation. So, as you know, I think of this as a biopsychosocial spiritual prison. That's how I think of a cult. 
and uh, you may believe that cults are are just like you know religious organizations and all you know religions were once cults um i don't think that way i think that you can think of people who are in a cult as divorced from the rest of the world they're caged in fear they have a fear if they lose the group they lose their claim to eternal salvation and that they will of course enter into eternal damnation they're psychologically straitjacket and their eternal life resting in being members of a totalitarian cult the cult has defined the path to salvation they have created an ultra abusive environment where members become work slaves as labor laws and this is pervasive throughout NRMs, cults and sects, where labour laws are flagrantly violated. However, the moral and divine character leader is somehow always kept intact. Even if the cult leader should be convicted of crimes, the group will remain intact. The leader never admitting guilt or apologising to victims. The people who remain in the cult will use the example of the cult leader and their hypothetical incarceration as further evidence that our outside world is evil because they wish to persecute the believers of the cult. Don't forget the cult is the true faith according to cult propaganda i also was thinking of foucault's description of torture i remember reading the scarlet letter and watching um shall i say reading but in my mind's eye was visualizing and watching the scaffold and how people were tortured um, in front of crowds of people in the middle ages and of course the first settlers the puritans did this all the time cults know the power of torture and abuse just like terrorism is a performative spectral theatrical activity and cults know that if they can violate people's rights and abuse them in front of the entire uh, cult membership, that they can also enforce and reinforce power. So public humiliation, physical abuse can be formulated as having performativity. And the idea of instilling shock into the spectator. It sends the message to the members that the law is X. And these are the rules and the penalties involved for disobedience. And don't forget, it's not simply a case that 
the member will decide, well, you know what, I'm going to now leave this cult because they're physically and mentally abusing us and torturing us. No, they can't leave the cult. There's so many things keeping them there, including financial and economical. And basically cults ill-prepare their members for life on the outside. The role of displaying the wrongdoer to abuse and torture is to get into the heads of the members that deviance to cult rules will not be tolerated. Through the straight jagging of fear, the cult continues to thrive. The wrongdoer is perceived as a deviant, the one who stepped out of line, whilst the punishment is designed to hand down the laws of the group firmly. As I said, I read The Rape of the Mind, and what I learned is that if you're clever, if you're a clever, abusive leader, which sounds like a mouthful, um, but if you're clever, you won't bother with physical abuse because it's uh, more obvious that law enforcement will be involved if you do. But psychological abuse, verbal abuse, Humiliation, public shaming, that's much more powerful at breaking a person. And this is what Juice Verlou says, who really studied the, uh, the role of um, torture, menticide, he called the rape of the mind or death of the mind. So that's more powerful. Psychological abuse is much more powerful as an agent that really wears a person down than physical abuse. I usually think in my head of cult leaders as as males. We've also had, um, because that's not surprising, uh, we usually had male cult leaders. Um, I'm thinking of David Berg, the Children of God, Marshall Applewhite, the Heaven's Gate cult, so on and so forth. Um, Neville Cooper in Gloria Vale. So I'm, or Jim Jones, of course, of the um, infamous Jonestown People's Temple cult. So in my mind, the cult leader is usually a male. But we've had some nasty female leaders, don't forget, like the leader of the family in Australia. She was horrendous. Um, usually cults are like the 1950s where there's lots of sexism where women know their place and they're usually exploited like hell. Um, so the leader of a cult obviously can be either a male or a female. They have commanders and formers and they're the eyes and the ears of the cult. So you don't have to create a panopticon or an all-seeing eye pan meaning all and optics like to do with vision you don't need to create a panopticon within a cult compound you don't have to have ccv tdv that might help if um you really want to imprison people make sure they never escape so on and so forth but you don't need that you can ingrain into the psyche of the members a deeply paranoid environment 
and you know uh, members will rat on each other and tell their secrets and this is seen throughout Gloria Vale where uh, that cult where people are constantly telling on their best friends and family members and so on to the detriment of their family member and best friend and this is what um, reminds me of um, you know again the USSR and people's fear of that knock in the middle of the night and obviously the KGB or the Stasi so that's the sort of paranoid environment that you're creating in a cult you would, you would rightly regard cults as places of irrational power with disordered beliefs and practices so you might wonder how is order maintained well this is how order is maintained through paranoia and through fear of authority we even see evidence of this militaristic like authority in cults such as the children of god if you watch that documentary on netflix you will see young members drawn up and marching as if for battle perfectly aligned and singing that creates in my mind a knowledge that this was well rehearsed and that basically cults are like a well-oiled machine so do watch uh that documentary on netflix it's very very revealing of how controlling how micro controlled cult members are the well-organized cults have the minutes and the seconds of a person's day all pre-planned for them through these actions the cult's power is visible over its subjects the discipline is required to create members who accumulate money and capital in order for the cult to financially thrive no matter what godforsaken cult i read about where i find the cult absolutely disgusting and the living conditions appalling and stench filled and unhygienic and absolutely horrifying to live in the cult itself to my horror can be extraordinarily wealthy with land prime real estate land as cult complexes not some disgusting place in the middle of nowhere like a jungle uh, or where there's no running water and so on and so forth so we must get into our minds that cult sex n or m's they are very prodigious at making lots and lots of money cult members are victims of irrational ill-reasoned power they are in the grips of cult membership and members have forfeited the ability their ability to govern themselves they're effectively like prisoners the cult has a totalizing control over them as human beings don't forget in, com in cults where there's compounds they really and truly are prisons so this has a segregative effect a segregative quality which is imposed on the cult members who 
because of their nature of their existence, they are divorced from friends, uh, family and society on the outside. So I mentioned the term menticide. Don't forget the word ment or mentations or thoughts. And side is siete or death. So that's how you, you come up with the word menticide. And um, Juice for Lou came up with that. Don't think that there's just one or two guys out there saying they're God. In the 21st century, in a highly developed country like like South Korea, you had about 60 dudes, cult leaders, saying that they were gods. This is not a stupid country with stupid people. Um, not that there is such a country, but you understand that these the South Korean population is well-to-do. It's economically and educationally advanced and yet you have people believing that another human being can be a god or prophet a deity they're well able these cults to control their followers my question is are they brainwashed be careful with the word brainwashed it's not broadly accepted by psychiatrists and psychologists because it can't be really proven to exist um, then again because psychology is so soft it's very hard to prove anything in it you know before the 50s and 60s you had Pavlov and Skinner and they were doing all kinds of behavioral experiments and this showed how people can be conditioned to act in a certain way and of course in the 50s and 60s you'd have had social psychological um, experiments on conformity like milligram uh, you also had drug experimentation using truth serums, LSD, magic mushrooms, and so on. Um, and you also had revelations of how people would have used fake or false uh, false confessions whilst imprisoned by the totalitarianists like the Nazis and communists. You also have the spectacle of stage hypnosis. You know, and that's like where you have a stage hypnotist making their subjects do things they wouldn't necessarily want to do, but they're under the direction, they're under the suggestion of the hypnotist. Um, so you may see these as examples of um, brainwashing. You also have had uh, outrageous atrocities committed by ordinary people who joined the NRM, the cults to sex. Are they brainwashed? So the idea that brainwashing exists certainly gained traction. Um, I'm not saying I advocate it, but it certainly is something that uh, people believe exists. Juice Verlu wrote in 1956 an entire book about the dirty tricks that can be played on people to manipulate them to do and say things they would not dare say or do if they had not received abuse. He passionately writes about this topic. Why? Well, you see, he is of Jewish origin and his country was taken over by the Nazis. He joined the, um, the Dutch resistance. He did a lot of experiments on how to counteract and combat Nazi Gestapo psychological torture. He was very interested in seeing how, before he fled the country, how you could actually combat that. Um, he, he basically quotes Colonel Frank 
and his experience with psychological coercion, which create what Jews for Lou called mendicide or death of the mind. So I'm going to quote from chapter one, where he writes, during the Korean War, an officer of the United States Marine Corps, Colonel Frank H. Schwabel, was taken prisoner by the Chinese communists. After months of intense psychological pressure and physical degradation, he signed a well-documented confession stating in the document that the United States was carrying out bacteriological warfare against the enemy. The confession named names, cited missions, described meetings and strategy conferences, end quote from the rape of the mind. So you can imagine that Juice for Lou gets on the bandwagon about brainwashing um, because it's the zeitgeist and this kind of term is popular and like how can our high-ranking military personnel be possibly vulnerable to psychological coercion and manipulation and must be brainwashing and not simply being scared out of your wits and being willing to say whatever nonsense uh, the enemy wants you to say in order to simply survive. I have known from studying, you know, mass murder and uh, genocide, the one thing people want to do is survive. You can call that brainwashing, but I call that simply the desire to stay alive and to be breathing. A person hanging around an interrogated um, other and psychologically pestering and abusing them are not the only exclusive conditions you can use to change and tamper people's minds. Um, basically, you don't have to beat the crap out of a person or psychologically humiliate a person to make them say things that never happened to them. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to use the word brainwashing and juiced. Merlou doesn't talk about false memory syndrome, okay? But I read about false memory syndrome. It's an etrogenic condition and it actually does occur in clinics with patients, the psychologist or the psychoanalyst or the psychotherapist or the hypnotherapist uses methods which I don't think should be used as regression therapy, namely things like past life regression therapy and suggestion. We all know how powerful suggestion can be. If you study hypnotherapy, you'll see that through positive suggestion, uh, clients have stopped biting their nails, they've overcome phobias, compulsions, habits, anxieties. They've augmented their performance. In fact, the US Zor Olympic team they, they all would have um, used hypnosis to help uh, them perform better. But false memory syndrome is used on vulnerable people where they actually can imagine true insinuation and true regression. They can actually imagine a crime that never actually took place that they believe happened to them, such as molestation. And this has caused um, an awful litigious nightmare uh, within the psychological community. Are they brainwashed? Or are they simply under 
the control and the transferential relationship of the psychologist who uses dangerous methods that they simply don't understand or are not adequately trained in. Um, so let's keep on topic uh, by entertaining the idea of menticide, which Verlou wrote in 1956 about. He discusses how the world since the 1930s has become only too familiar with autocracy and the power of revolutionaries to become compliant and obedient to their oppressors. Hughes' example of Stalin's show trials to further impose the view that even the strongest and the fittest succumb to this torture. So again, what you're getting from Verlou is the idea that, oh, strong people um, will melt. But then again, that's just normal if you're being battered and beaten. You know, like any scared animal, what else are you going to do but resort to survival? Let me just quote from chapter one, The Rape of the Mind by Verlou. The men on trial had once been human beings. Now they were being systematically changed into puppets. Their puppeteers called the tune and manipulated their actions when, from time to time, news came true showing how hard, rigid revolutionaries could be changed into meek, self-accusing sheep all over the world, the last remnants of the belief in the free community presumably being built in Soviet Russia began to crumble, end quote. Let me just think about what I read. Yes, of course they were once human beings and now, oh, they've become puppets. Yeah, but just get them out of that room and the so-called brainwashing will disappear and they'll again revert to being revolutionaries. I think the act of being in a room and being tortured you know you're going to have to conform to the powers that be to the abuse abusing powers in order to survive do i really believe that your brain is washed in these circumstances i don't think so he will later for lou that is deploy the example of george orwell's 1984 and that's why i'm not keen on this book the rape of the mind he's using lots of examples from fiction from politics, uh, you know, not enough experiments, not enough statistics. But, that's, but I, having said that, 1984 is a good book. And the metaphor of totalitarianism is, again, very, very wonderful for understanding N or M's and sex, which, of course, is not something that Verlou talks about. But we are very familiar with how um, cults are frightfully totalitarian-like environments. Now, you might know that George Orwell was originally a communist, but he was. He wrote 1984 because he woke up and he wanted to explain to us Westerners what communism would look like if communism landed on the West. So we can see he's excited to get into this topic of menticide. Because he had to wrestle with psychological coercion and manipulation in his life. Um, he assessed how the hated Gestapo interrogated people. And he said this is their methods are what would cause people to confess and betray the people who they love. So with psychological abuse, which he believes was more powerful than physical abuse at getting people who were interrogated 
to spill the beans, humiliate them, humiliate them, humiliate them, and eventually they'll just crack. He was a medical professional doctor, a psychiatrist for Lou. He had to leave his country because he was of Jewish birth and obviously the concentration camps were beckoning. But before he left, he did all his experiments, as I said, he discovered that narcotics don't work because they might make you less um, susceptible to pain, but you're more likely to, you know, again, say things you wouldn't say. Self-hypnosis, it was also something he worked with. Again, few people can actually achieve that level of self-hypnosis where they're not actually going to feel uh, the hardships and the trouble and the pain of torture. Suicide pills, you know, they thought, well, you know what, they're not going to say anything, uh, our resistance fighters, if they carry a suicide pill. They discovered that if you have a suicide pill and you get caught, you generally will get the suicide pill taken off you and lots of questions are going to be asked. Uh, eventually he discovered that it's not a good idea in occupied Holland to have more than two friends because people talk. But if you do get caught and you're going to be um, psychologically interrogated, if you want to combat it, act like a simpleton. Because the more you talk, the more nonsense you can talk with, of course, splatterings of accurate information. And that way you can give a mixture of false unreliable information and truth and that will misguide the enemy which is quite clever i don't personally like applying the idea solely of menticide to this phenomenon of cults and nrms because i don't want to be overly simplistic i don't want to be because the study of cults and um sects and NRMs is notoriously complicated, which is something I'm only all too familiar with. So I wanted to remind you that I believe that the, the, the existence of a cult is a bio-psycho-spiritual prison. I think that's a superior idea, which I'm going to work with in my explorations of um, cults as opposed to brainwashing which is something i don't even know really exists i think paranoid people love to use it um and cult theorists but i think that the mind is very powerful and that yes we're going to say things in order to survive and you know that conforming to the abuses of the to the will and the abuse of um directions of our enemies does not mean we're brainwashed it can mean that we simply want to live, we simply want to survive. Um, and yes, cult members may come across as being indoctrinated, um, but desiring to gain salvation and to answer the questions of what happens to people after they die represents more of a, um, a spiritual crisis in a person's life and trying to address that and a powerful spiritual transferential relationship as opposed to that person simply being indoctrinated and their brain being so washed that they can't unwash it. You see, the concept of brainwashing, in my opinion, gives people a lack of hope 
and you need to give people who are former members of cults hope that their brain is now intact and that all the programming that they had to endure can be unprogrammed and they can actually become healthy human beings. Yes, cults can control their subjects and their mentations, but that does not mean that that, that control cannot be reversed. And that's the positive note that I want to leave this uh, broadcast on. I'm so happy um, to have you along. Keep following me and your following me is so encouraging for me to do more and more and more podcasts. Hopefully my podcast will be mainly about cults. My neurosis or my anxiety is it will not be enough material out there for me to um, to analyze and even if there is enough material out there to analyze about cults the odd time i want to write and discuss something else simply to show a diversity in my interests and to show that i'm well capable of discussing history literature films and and current affairs whatever floats my boat but i love um my explorations on cults and I may actually do an entire podcast where I discuss my relationship to cults and sex and NRMs. But I often wonder, do people really give a shit about what I think about cults? And do they not prefer me to simply analyse them and extrapolate the information and, uh, and come up with interesting formulas and ideas on what this strange phenomena is? A phenomenon that has been around since antiquity. Um, but as you can see, the nefarious, the exploitive, the abusive elements of cults are what gains the media's attention. So thank you so much, and we will tune in and we'll do more of this again. From me, Michael Moviel, your host, thank you for tuning into this episode of Dark Days Dawning podcast. Goodbye.